Hey guys, thanks for tuning in for this episode of 13 and Happy New Year. Before we go any further, as always, I want to thank our new patrons, James Welsh, Jer Blaine, Ashley Palmer, Julia Benson, Zach, Monk Funks, Brandy Reyes, and Mo Hellbender. Thank you guys so much for your support. Our patrons get a lot more 13, like extra stories each month, including over two years worth of past bonus episodes, updates on the show, merch, and access to a patron-only Discord server where you can chat about the show or whatever else is on your mind. Our patrons also never have to listen to ads, and they are the best people in the universe. So if you want to be part of the pod fam, check us out on Patreon. We'll put a link in the show notes. Before I get into this episode, we want to tell you about a show that we think you'll like. Hollow Sky is a journey through the paranormal with hosts Kyle and Steve. They cover everything from hauntings and cryptid sightings to alien abductions and conspiracies. You'll hear listener experience stories too. And who knows? Maybe you could be that listener talking about your own experience. With four releases each week, there's going to be something for everyone. Search for Hollow Sky. That's H-O-L-O-S-K-Y. Or click the link in our show notes. This month's episode is Strange Light, written and narrated by Ian Epperson with Kayla Temshiv. But before we get into the episode, here's a message from our sponsors. It's probably a food box. After my divorce, I moved about a mile away from my old house, the one where my wife and kids still lived. The divorce had been coming for a long time. We both knew it. But even so, after I pulled off the Band-Aid and told her I wanted to separate, I felt my chest sink. And immediately, I regretted the decision. It was the kind of regret that bordered on panic. I knew that it needed to be done, but I hadn't put much thought into actually doing it into broaching the conversation. The second thoughts raced through my mind, even as I was holding it together, stoic and detached. It turns out, some things can't be unsaid, and some decisions can't be undone. Those second thoughts didn't last long, and after the doubt subsided, I started getting my things in order to move out. We told the kids the night I left, and that was the hardest part. But now, a few weeks on, things have settled into a new normal. I miss coming home every night to the kids, but I pick them up from school a couple days a week, and we hang out most weekends. It'll never be like it was before, but it wasn't good for them to see their parents not in love, just tolerating each other. We weren't on bad terms, my wife and I. There was never any huge fight or irreconcilable difference. Just a wide, distant gulf that we'd allowed to grow between us. One so big that I don't think anything could have made it right again. We tried at the end. We tried to find a way to make it work, but it was too late. I was trying to settle into this new season of my life, and in what seemed like no time at all, 
I felt like I was, more or less, through the worst of it. My new neighborhood was on the edge of an old industrial district. I'd actually lived nearby when I was younger. Back then, the warehouse district was all but abandoned and falling apart. The companies and jobs that once occupied the brick and concrete buildings were long gone, and the buildings stood empty, decaying, year after year. But now, all those old factories and warehouses were being converted into breweries, restaurants, and coffee shops. You know the kind of place. There was a set of railroad tracks that ran right through the middle of the district. Those tracks had been abandoned too. The city had been talking about turning it into a walking or biking path through the middle of the new district, but that hadn't happened yet. For now, they were overgrown with tall grass, weeds, and trees. There were other remnants of the old neighborhood too. It had never felt like a particularly dangerous place, even though some of it was pretty run down. But there was always a little bit of an edge to it. There's a little neighborhood market a couple streets over from my new house, the Cortland Avenue Market in Delhi, and it had been around for a long time. It was a neighborhood institution until a few years ago. A woman was found dead in her car in front of the market. The owner of the place went missing without a trace, ran off, never to be seen again. It's become a bit of a local ghost story. It was never solved, but it didn't take a genius to figure out what had happened. Kids talk about it. They tell their friends that they know someone who saw what happened. But the truth is, no one really knows. And chances are, we never will. The shop was closed for a couple years until someone came along and took over the place. They reopened it under the same name. And now, I walk down there on Saturdays with my kids to let them pick out candy and a drink. It's funny how you can compartmentalize things. As late summer turned into fall, I started to get bored. At first, the ability to come home three days a week to an empty house was exciting. I could put on a show, zone out in front of the TV, eat whatever I wanted and not have to worry about anyone else's well-being. At first, the lack of structure had been freeing. But now, it was becoming uncomfortable. It was becoming lonely. As time went on, the restlessness began. I didn't know what to do with myself. I watched too much TV, I ate too much, and I drank too much too. I couldn't turn my mind off, and I was isolating. When I looked at myself in the mirror, I didn't like what I saw. I was almost 40 years old. Is this what a midlife crisis feels like? I was also having trouble sleeping. Without structure to my day, there was no natural transition to bedtime. On those nights that I couldn't sleep, I sometimes went for a night walk. I liked walking at night. My neighborhood was quiet, but it wasn't deserted. There were people out and about, even late. A lot of them coming and going from the bars and restaurants in the warehouse district. But I liked walking the streets with the old houses, 
the ones with trees. At night, an old neighborhood can feel timeless. On one of these walks, I decided to loop around to the warehouse district. And that's when I noticed it for the first time. There was a gym. It was in a converted warehouse on the second floor. Big windows on the front, only a couple of people inside. It was one of those 24-hour places. I thought about how I hadn't liked what I'd seen in the mirror lately. I thought about how I wanted to be around as long as I could for my kids. And I thought about wearing myself out so I could get some goddamn sleep. The best part, it was only a couple of blocks from my house. I signed up, and now I had a gym membership for the first time in my life. I still preferred my night walks, but as the nights got colder, exercising indoors was more appealing. I still went out at the same time, and I liked it there later at night. I had a key fob to get in 24 hours a day, and at that time of night, I only ever saw one or two people there. But usually, they were wrapping up as I was arriving, and most of the time, I had the place all to myself. The entrance was a glass door off a side street and then up a flight of stairs. The whole front of the place must have been torn down to install those big floor-to-ceiling windows. And up here on the second floor, I had a great view up and down the street. If I adjusted the lights down a bit, I could see a long way just by the glow of the street lights. Since it was my first time in a gym, the first night I just wandered around, trying out all the machines, learning how everything worked. I was self-conscious and happy for the opportunity to do all this trial and error on my own, but I got the hang of it pretty quickly. And before long, I was spending my nights alone in an old warehouse, looking out over the district as the restaurants closed down, as the people on the sidewalks made their way to and from the bars. I had the kids that weekend. It was the first week of December, and the weather had called for snow, but it never materialized. The snow was supposed to make for a fun weekend outside, but now it was just cold and rainy, and it kept us cooped up. The kids were disappointed but we made do with movies and games. Late Sunday morning, the rain finally stopped and we bundled up and walked to the neighborhood market on Cortland Avenue. Despite the cold, we were all happy to get out of the house and the kids were anticipating their treats. The kids took off toward their favorite snack aisle and I followed behind at my own pace. I could see over the aisles, to the back where there used to be a grill for hot lunches. When the place changed hands, they'd taken out all the kitchen equipment and just extended the aisles a little further back. You could still see the change in the floors from the original hardwood to a kitchen floor. There was a step there, and it could sneak up on you if you weren't paying attention. I'd heard that they were going to replace the floor and make it universal throughout. I remembered the stories of that old shop owner, the one who disappeared. Rumors that you could see the remnants of a giant pentagram on the wood, 
hidden under a rug or something like that. The rumors went that it looked like someone had tried to clean it up, but they hadn't gotten it all. But that's probably just another neighborhood rumor. The kids got their snacks and we walked back home. We took the long way. It wasn't so cold and the kids still needed to burn off some energy. After all, we'd been cooped up all weekend. A few hours before my ex-wife came to pick them up, the kids were playing amongst themselves in the living room while I made dinner. I was only vaguely paying attention to their conversation when one of them mentioned something about mom's new friend. That caught my attention and I felt a sinking feeling in my chest. When I brought dinner into the living room, I tried to be as casual as I could bringing it up. So, did I hear you say that mom has a new friend? The look they gave each other was all the confirmation I needed. I could see their minds scrambling for something to say. Shit. I didn't want to make them feel like they were in trouble. One of them spoke up and just said something like, yeah, mom made a new friend. I changed the subject, but a mixture of something like desperation, anger, and panic all came over me. I tried my best not to let it show. When she picked up the kids later that night, I didn't mention that I knew about her new friend, but I was irritable and I was short with her. So much so that I didn't give the kids a proper goodbye, something I only realized after they were gone. And I wouldn't see them again to make it right for a couple of days. I always fell into a bit of a spiral after the kids went home, when the house was quiet and I was all alone. I felt an aching when they were away, and it got worse each time. Now, it was compounded by this anger, this irrational feeling of betrayal. We hadn't made any rules about not dating or bringing so-called friends around the kids. I knew that she hadn't done anything wrong, but I was angry nonetheless. My mind went in so many directions. Why is she moving so fast? I couldn't stop the racing thoughts as I paced the house. I needed to do something with all this energy. So, I went for a night walk. I put on my coat and hat and ventured out into the cold air. I made my way away from the warehouse district and deeper into the neighborhood. The houses in this part of the neighborhood dated back to the 1920s. There was the occasional old brick apartment building. During the summer, leaves covered the sidewalks and streets. But now, bare limbs clicked together as they swayed in the wind. The sharp glare of the moonlight cast shadows on the road. I was still feeling all of my emotions about what I'd learned that day, as well as the sting of going to sleep in a different house from my kids, not coming home to them at the end of every day. It can't always feel like this, can it? It has to get better. There's something about the cold and the quiet of these night walks that gives me a kind of clarity. 
it allows me to be a bit more introspective, a little more honest with myself. Underneath my reactionary feelings, I could tell that it was coming from a place of finality. Even though we'd separated and started the legal process of divorce, even though I'd started referring to her as my ex-wife, there was something about her moving on and meeting new people that meant that it was really over. None of those other things had made it feel real the way that this did. I wasn't mad at her. Well, maybe I was a little. But really, I was finally coming to terms with the idea that I was mourning my old life. In the past couple of months, I'd thought about meeting other women. Of course I had. As time went on, and I came home from work to an empty house, made dinner alone, watched a movie or a few episodes of a show all by myself, I was getting lonely too. And yes, I could feel a little bit of restlessness to get started again too. The period that I was in right now, it felt like a transition. But transitions aren't supposed to last forever. And right now, meeting someone new doesn't feel appealing or exciting. Starting from the beginning, it feels daunting. It feels like work. I just put a lot of work into trying to save something that was failing. A lot of work for nothing. And the idea of doing it all again, I didn't like it. But being alone forever, not coming home to someone, I didn't like that either. I was aware that the days and weeks were passing and I wasn't getting any younger, but I was still feeling too much resentment. I was emotionally tapped out. Something needs to change, but I don't know what that is. The next day, the snow finally came. My ex-wife sent photos of the kids playing in it. I know that she meant well, but all I could think was that it was supposed to be our experience over the weekend. And instead, she got to have the first snow of the season with them. God, I'm becoming such a whiny little shit. The weather isn't her fault, and we had a whole winter ahead of us. There would be plenty of snow to go around. As night fell, snow stuck to the trees and rooftops. The sky was getting brighter, and the streetlights reflected the snow. I got my things together and walked down to the gym. As I approached, I could see that all the lights were out. That meant that I'd have the place to myself. I used my key fob to open the door, climbed the stairs, and flipped on the lights. I changed out of my cold weather clothes, and I got started. Out the windows, the night was brighter than usual from the snow. There was a restaurant across the street. The building was in an old warehouse, just like the gym, and just like this one. It had been chopped up into several different storefronts with big glass windows. It was usually closing up for the night while I was here, and I'd become familiar with some of the regulars and employees as they filtered out into the night. The treadmills faced the windows, and I got started there to limber up and get my heart pumping. Across the street, the patrons were all gone, and the employees were cleaning up and closing the place down. 
They finished up their shifts and came out, one by one, a few minutes apart. They found their cars and drove off, or they started their walks home, bundled up from the cold. Then, what I'd noticed to be a pattern, the last two people out were a man and a woman. I'd not paid them any more attention than the others until this night. The lights went out one by one inside the restaurant, and then they stepped out and locked the door. But they didn't leave right away. I saw him looking up and down the street. Nothing unusual there. This part of the neighborhood could still be a little rough around the edges. But tonight, with a little extra light from the snow, I could see his expression. He wasn't looking out for danger. He was looking around to see if any of their co-workers were still nearby. When they were confident that they were alone, they embraced. It was a tight hug, one that was pent up. There was real longing there. They pulled away just enough to press their noses together, say a few words, and then tilt their heads into a kiss. A car turned onto the street and they pulled away from each other again, abruptly, like they were gonna get caught. And that's when it clicked. They weren't hiding from their coworkers, or maybe that was part of it. But the real danger wasn't their coworkers. One or both of them were having an affair. When the headlights came and went, and they were satisfied that they were alone again, they pulled each other close and they kissed for a little while longer. A long, drawn out, regretful goodbye. I'm not normally a nosy person, but I was intrigued. He watched her walk to her car, get in and pull away. Then he turned the other direction, walked up the block to where he'd parked and started his way home. Neither of them had any idea that now a third person knew their secret. Over the next couple of weeks, I saw them again. I gathered that he was a manager. He was always the one to lock up. And I'd seen her waiting tables through the windows. I felt ridiculous keeping track of them, feeling engrossed in their story. But it was harmless. And I was bored. I was even going to the gym a little bit more often, just to see if they'd be there. They didn't always work together. And even when they did, they didn't always share a moment outside afterwards. Sometimes there were just too many people around. On the weekends, the sidewalks were crowded with people and they couldn't risk being seen by someone passing by, someone they might know. But on the slow weekday nights, they had their moments on the sidewalk or they would go sit in one another's car for a little while before going their separate ways. Once or twice, they went straight to their cars, but instead of going opposite directions like normal, one followed the other down the street, I assumed going home together, where they could share a little bit more time and more privacy. I didn't condone what they were doing, but I found myself jealous of the way that she looked at him 
envious of the way he must feel when he looks in her eyes. But I also felt a solemn grief for their partners, who didn't know now, but would inevitably, one day, find out. One night in particular, something strange happened. All the lights went out across the street, just like normal. The building was dark. They walked out the front door together and he locked up. And it was one of those nights where one of them followed the other home. They didn't linger at the door. They just went straight to their cars. She waited for him to pull around behind her. Then I watched both sets of taillights make their way out of sight. The street was quiet. I packed up my things, turned off the lights, and made my way down the stairs and out into the cold. I gave the door a little pull just to make sure it was locked up. And just before I turned to start my walk home, something caught my eye. A light came on inside the restaurant across the street. I didn't hang around to find out why the lights came back on in the restaurant. I didn't give it a lot of thought. I was far more interested in checking my ex-wife's social media accounts, looking for any sign of who her new friend might be. But despite all my searching, there was no sign of anyone new. I realized that I was becoming obsessive, and I made myself stop. We weren't married anymore, and it was none of my business. I picked up the kids from the last day of school, and we hung out until it was almost bedtime. Then, I took them back to their mom's house, where they would sleep for the night. The kids were excited. My ex-wife's mother would be coming to stay with them while they were home from school. It was winter break. The holidays came and went too quickly. My ex-wife and I had briefly talked about doing a combined Christmas, but we thought that it might be confusing for the kids. We did our own separate events instead. The holidays are busy, and I didn't make it to the gym like normal, but everything calmed down the week between Christmas and New Year's. That one week a year where it feels like nothing matters. The night after Christmas, another snow fell, and it was the leading edge of a heavy cold, the kind of cold that makes you want to stay home. The snow had crystallized, and it stuck together like ice. It was miserable. But on the third night, I told myself that I had to get back in my routine. If I let too many days slip, I'd risk losing progress, and worse, losing motivation. So, I bundled up and half-walked, half-jogged, down to the warehouse district. I used the key fob and then went inside. It was dark. I was here alone. I guess no one else wanted to venture out into the cold either. With a gym to myself, I started my usual routine. From my vantage point, I could see straight through the restaurant windows across the street. There wasn't a single customer inside. And even though it was an hour before they usually closed, I noticed the employees were already going through their normal closing routine. 
It made sense. I imagine a lot of places would be closing up early tonight. A few minutes later, employees began streaming out of the place, all of them bundled up and walking quickly toward their cars. And finally, the lights went out inside, and the two who had piqued my interest stepped out into the cold. She waited for him by the door as he locked up, her arms crossed and shivering. What was typically a long goodbye was rushed, a quick hug and a kiss. They hadn't bothered looking around. A few words were exchanged, and then they broke apart. She turned, and when she did, she stopped in her tracks. She was staring straight at me. She spoke something to her companion, and he looked at me too. Shit. I turned my head abruptly, making it all the more obvious that I'd been watching them. When I looked back, she'd walked to her car and gave me one more look over her shoulder before getting in and closing the door. Her taillights came on, followed by her headlights. He was on his way to his car too. I was embarrassed. I saw her car pull away, and then he started his engine. My first thought was that I would have to find a different time to come to the gym. Any time when I wouldn't be likely to encounter them again. I watched his headlights spin around, and just before he made his way out of the district, something happened. Just like it had a few weeks ago, a light in the restaurant came back on. He must have seen it, because he came to a slow stop in front of the building. He lingered in his car for a moment, and then he pulled over to the curb and got out. He turned again and looked at me. This time, I could see trepidation, anxiety on his face. This time, he may have been glad that there was another person nearby. I watched him unlock the door and go in. A few moments later, the light went out. And then, I waited for him to come back out, get into his car, and drive off. But he never did. Maybe there was another exit. But if there was, he wasn't going to leave his car. After a few minutes had passed, my legs were starting to burn on the treadmill. I didn't know what to do. Should I do something? I shrugged it off and changed back into my cold weather clothes. I made my way back down the steps and out the front door. I looked across the street again. His car was still there. The lights were still out. I had a fleeting thought about going to look in the windows, but I batted it away. It was cold, and there had to be an explanation for it. I tugged on the door to the gym to make sure it was locked, and then I started my walk home. Just like before, I didn't think much about the lights inside the restaurant. And once I was home for the night, I didn't give any more thought to the man who went back inside to check it out. But the next day, I saw something pop up in my social media feed. 
something shared by a friend, an article about a missing person. The photo attached to the headline took me by surprise. It may have been a couple of years old, but the photo was unmistakable. It was the man I'd seen come and go from the restaurant across from my gym. The photo showed that he had a family and the woman in the photo, his wife, she was not the woman I'd seen him kissing and going home with after work. I read through the article, but it didn't say much. He hadn't come home after working a closing shift. The article ended with, contact the police if you have any information. I felt a sinking feeling and I wondered if I should call. There was a chance that I was the last person to see him before he went missing. But then again, what did I really know? He went back into the building and the article already said that he never came home from work. I didn't have anything to add to that. I thought back to the night before, seeing the two of them walk out, how cold it was, how she'd wrapped her arms around herself, waiting for him to lock up. I thought about how they'd seen me, how she motioned toward me and they both looked, how I turned away, embarrassed at being caught. What if she thought that I had something to do with it? As far as anyone knew, they left at the same time, but she'd been gone before the light came on and before he went back inside. If I came forward with a story like that, all of a sudden, I look suspicious. I'd be the last person to see him, and with a story that didn't make any sense. A light coming on all by itself, and him going inside, but not coming out. No. If I thought there was something I could do, something that I knew that helped at all, I would call and tell the police about it. But I didn't know anything that wasn't already in the news, and I didn't see any reason to open myself up to suspicion. That night I went back to the gym. I was too curious. I watched as the restaurant across the street closed up. All the employees left together, including her, the one that I'd seen having an affair with the missing man. She was acting natural, normal, but as the group fanned out, Half of them bundled up for a walk home and the others going to their cars. I saw her look over her shoulder. I saw her look at me. This time, I didn't look away. I didn't try to pretend that I hadn't been looking. We held eye contact for a moment. Then she turned and kept going. I didn't know what to make of it. A couple of weeks went by. The weather warmed up, back to regular January temperatures. Still cold, but not so brutal. I barely noticed the employees leaving across the street anymore, and there hadn't been any updates on the missing manager. One night, out of sheer curiosity, I walked across the street after my workout. The restaurant had closed up. I'd watched everyone leave, and the lights go out. 
I was confident that I was alone. I peeked in the windows, cupping my hands between my face and the glass, scanning the inside of the place. I didn't know what I was looking for exactly, but I couldn't see much of anything. I pulled back. I looked both ways to make sure there were no cars coming. Then, I cut my hands against the glass again. This time, I looked harder, allowing my eyes to adjust. There was an orange glow coming from the back, an exit sign. In that orange light, I could make out the shape of tables and chairs, all arranged in rows. What was I doing? What did I think I was going to find? Just before I pulled my hands away from the glass to turn and walk home, something caught my eye. Something I hadn't noticed at first. It was in the back, by the light of the exit sign. There was a shape. It was the vague form of a person. I startled and I shook. And just as I registered what it was, it turned and walked out of sight. I backed up from the window and turned toward home. I half jogged and half ran across the street. Just before I turned out of sight, I looked over my shoulder again. I expected to see a face in the window, someone or something coming out the front door, the lights all coming on, beckoning me to come back. But instead, there was nothing. As the nights went by, I saw the employees across the street returning to their old habits. They stopped waiting for each other and leaving together in one big group. And they went back to trickling out one by one as they finished up. I stopped paying too much attention to them. I noticed them, of course, but it felt wrong after he went missing. But one of those nights, she caught my eye I'm not sure if she was the last one to leave or if she waited in her car until all of her coworkers were gone. But there she was, the other half of that illicit couple, standing in the middle of the empty street. She put up a hand and waved to get my attention. I watched her for a moment. Then she gestured for me to come outside. I knew exactly what she wanted. She knew that I had been the last one to see them. I was the only one that knew that he was supposed to be going home with her that night. For the first time, it occurred to me, she and I shared a secret. I motioned for her to give me a moment. I got bundled up over my gym clothes, went down the flight of steps to the glass door, and then outside. She'd taken a few steps forward to the sidewalk. I approached, and she looked uncomfortable. I think that we were both having the same thought. Okay, here we are. Now what? Hi, I'm Marley. Hi. How, um, how are you holding up? Her expression cracked. It occurred to me that she probably didn't know how much I knew. Maybe she was feeling me out, trying to get a sense for it. Not great. What can I do for you? 
It sounded awkward, and it wasn't the right thing to say. But I don't know what the right thing to say would have been. I know you were there. Did you... Did you see anything that night? Yeah, God, I'm so sorry. I, uh... I I didn't mean to intrude. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. Just... He was supposed to be right behind me. I got home, and I waited in my car. I waited for him to pull up so we could go in together. I thought maybe he'd stopped for gas or something, and we didn't really text or call because, you know. But I tried anyway, and he didn't pick up. Finally, I went inside. I thought maybe he'd had second thoughts, had an epiphany, and turned around and went home. Maybe he was ending it. Or he'd been caught and she was watching us from around some corner. Um, no offense. Uh, yeah, none taken. I thought so many things, but I couldn't do anything about any of them. I didn't sleep, and the next day when his car was still there and he didn't show up. I realized then that this was probably the first time she'd been able to talk about it. Hey, are you okay? She straightened her back and wiped her eyes. Yeah, I'm fine. I just... I wanted to see if you'd seen anything that night after I left. I took a deep breath, and I told her everything. The two of them going their separate ways. Her driving off. Him starting to follow her, and then the light coming on. I told her that I watched him go back inside to check it out. And then... Nothing. How long did you stay? I don't know, not that long. Ten minutes, maybe? Definitely long enough for someone to turn off a light and come back out. Did you see anyone else? No, I didn't. But it's not the first time that this has happened. I've seen the lights come on and go off by themselves a couple of times. She looked at me and then looked back at the restaurant. We stayed like that for a long moment. Then... I told her about the other night, when I went to look for myself. I told her what I saw, a figure inside. Do you think, Dad, it's stupid, but do you think some part of him is still in there? I suddenly remembered the Cortland Avenue market in Delhi and how this neighborhood had a history of people disappearing without a trace. But when it came to whether or not a piece of him was still there, I told her that I didn't know. Uh, We were going to run off together someday. That's what we said. When he didn't show up for work the next day, and then when we found out he'd never made it home. It's so stupid, but I thought he'd run off with someone else. That's just where my mind went. I don't have a lot of friends. I'm not good at this stuff. This... This was the first time I really believed in someone. And they weren't real to me. His family, I mean, I'd never met them and he never talked about them. They didn't feel real until... until they were all over the news. I just... I've never felt like that with someone. And I'm afraid I'll never get that again. You probably think I'm a bad person. I don't know. I still think I'm a bad person when I think about it now. (laughs) What I was doing with... As she was talking, I was overcome with memories of my family, memories of my wife. I saw the whole thing, our 11 years together, 
and I saw it in reverse. I saw the distance and the fights at the end. I saw the moment that I gave up. Not when I gave up on the marriage. Before then. When I stopped putting in the work. Then, I saw further back. The kids aging in reverse. Carving jack-o'-lanterns in October and decorating the house for Christmas. I remember chicken soup and cuddles on the couch when the kids were homesick, waking up so early on Saturday mornings and wishing for the days when they'd start sleeping in. There were date nights, cooking dinner together, and sneaking off to the bedroom during nap time, finding out that she was pregnant with our first daughter. And finally, our first date. We met at a park, and then we walked to a nearby bar, tipsy fingers grazing each other's hands as I walked her to her car at the end of the night. The anticipation that I'd felt as she lingered by the driver's side door, when I finally took her whole hand in mine, when I leaned in and we kissed. For a moment, I was that younger version of myself, 11 years ago, and I'd give anything to go back there now. But remembering it, here in the cold, talking with Marley, instead of that excitement and anticipation, I felt a deep aching in my soul. At some point, I came back to the present. Marley had finished speaking, and she was giving me a look. I realized that there were tears in my eyes. I'm sorry. I should go. No, I... I don't think you're a bad person. I know what it means when you feel like you've finally found somebody that you can really know. She gave me a puzzled look. What I'm trying to say is... Life is messy. She looked back across the street. What do you think happened? He had to come out somewhere, right? He had to come out sometime. An unsettling thought occurred to me. He did come out. He had to, right? After I talked with Marley, I took the long way home. Her story had triggered a deluge of memories. Things I'd kept locked away, compartmentalized. Instead of going home, I kept walking. And before I knew it, I was on my old block. The one where my ex-wife and kids still lived. I didn't want to walk all the way down there. I didn't want to walk in front of the house. But there were benches at the end of the street, and I sat there for a while. I let all the memories come back, and a funny thing happened. I didn't think about the end at all. It was a deluge of good memories. Walking with my family past this very spot. Vacations and days where I stayed home to go to the park. I closed my eyes, and I let myself feel everything. I let myself really feel the loss for the first time. 
A funny thing happened after that night I talked to Marley. We started waving at each other if I was at the gym when she left work. We weren't friends, and we would never actually speak again. But I think it was comforting when she saw me, and I liked knowing that she was okay, that she was getting better. I was feeling better about things too. I had the kids that weekend, and we walked down to the little neighborhood market on Cortland Avenue for snacks. It had become a little bit of a ritual for us. As we approached, I noticed that something was going on. There was police tape around the market, lots of cops moving in and around the building. I asked another passerby on the sidewalk if they knew what was going on. They didn't. Either way, we weren't going to be getting our snacks from the market today. The kids were a mix of intrigued and disappointed. We turned around and walked back to the house to make a new plan. But before I did, I texted a photo to my ex. A few minutes later, she sent me an article. She'd written out, holy shit, underneath of it. The headline read, police report, body found under the floor at Cortland Avenue Market in Delhi. A quick skim of the article said that the market had begun replacing the floors in the back where there used to be a grill. They found human remains underneath. Police haven't confirmed if the remains belonged to the previous owner of the store, the one that went missing. The article didn't say how they knew, but police believed he'd nailed himself under the floors. I saw Marley one more time on one of those nights. As usual, I was alone at the gym. I watched the employees trickle out, and Marley was with the last group to leave. Spring was coming, and it was getting warmer at night. She stood around and talked with some of her coworkers. The closing manager locked up and shouted goodnight to all the employees huddled on the sidewalk. Then, one by one, they trickled away and went home. She was the last one to get to her car, and just before she pulled away from the curb, something happened. A light came back on across the street. I felt a sinking feeling in my chest. I watched Marley get out of her car. She walked to the middle of the street and stopped. Inside the gym, I watched it all happen. I turned off the treadmill and I walked right up to the big floor-to-ceiling windows. She looked on for a moment, and then she turned and looked at me. When I saw her face, I already knew. I shook my head. She watched me a little longer, and then, as if nothing were wrong at all, she paced over to the door where her manager had just locked up. She gave it a tug, and it came open easily. My heart was pounding. She glanced at me over her shoulder one more time, and she gave me a look that said, I'm sorry, I have to. And then she stepped inside, and the lights went out. That was the last time that I saw Marley. 
I know that it's not what happened. I know that it can't be. But I like to think that somehow he'd been hiding out in there and they really did run off together. I hoped that for her sake because the alternative, well, I don't want to imagine what else could have happened. It's been a few months and in that time, the police confirmed that the body they found under the Cortland Avenue market in Delhi was in fact the old owner. They still didn't say how they knew, but they confirmed that he appeared to have closed himself up under the floor, that he had buried himself alive. In that time, my relationship with my ex-wife remained in a good place. She eventually told me that she'd been seeing someone, and I didn't tell her that the kids had already let it slip. I miss her. I think a part of me always will, but I've moved on too. And I have a new friend of my own. We met online and it's going pretty well. Starting over from the beginning still feels daunting, but life is about learning from your mistakes. And if things continue to go well, I won't make the same mistakes again. On our third date, she told me about a restaurant near my place that she'd been wanting to try. And that night, we walked into Marley's old restaurant. I'd never actually been inside, despite watching it all those nights. I'd imagine that I'd feel uncomfortable, that I'd be anxious or afraid, but I wasn't. Marley made her choice. And at the end, whatever that end was, I hope she knew that she wasn't a bad person. But based on everything that I saw, the lights coming on and off when they shouldn't, the figure under the orange light of the exit sign, and with everything that had come out about the Cortland Avenue market in Delhi, I couldn't help but glance at the floors from time to time. Thank you for joining us for this episode of 13. If you like what you heard, stop what you're doing and leave a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. This was Strange Light, written and narrated by Ian Epperson. Additional voice provided by Kayla Temshiv. Music composed by Kayla Britchie. Editing and sound design by Brooke Jeanette. Additional assistance from Bridget Freeman and Mason Amadeus. Our producer-level patrons are Rick Linville, Tattooed Fox, Rhiannon, Sean Geary, Anthony Diaz, Michael Vasquez, Amy Harper, Jackie Kay, Delta Tango, Chantel Payne, Nick, Emily Douglas, and Jake R. Thank you so much for your support. Click the link in the show notes to learn more about joining us on Patreon. You can check us out on social media, on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok under Pod13. Also, you can join the Facebook group for 13 Podcasts. Just look for the logo and you'll find links in the show notes. If you'd like to submit a story to be performed on the show, get in touch at info at 13podcast.com. You'll find submission guidelines and other info on our website, 13podcast.com. You can find all that in the show notes too. Bridget Freeman is waiting in the darkness. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next month.